vengeance. I am the knight. Matt Lazowitz, and welcome to this week's episode of Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast, where each week, my co-host Will Nevin and I dig into three Batman stories, discuss them, and rank them on our big list, thus creating a giant list of Batman stories from best to worst. Will, how's it going tonight? It's going well, Matt, and listeners, I've got a treat for you in the Will Nevin Memorial Drive the Show into the Ditch portion uh, of our, our episode tonight, I've been told the good brother Matt has something to share with you all. So I'm going to give my fucked up space over to him. But oh. before I do that, quick shout out to my buddy, Alexander. I can't believe you, Dad, lest you listen to this filthy fucking show. Hope you're having a great week, bud. And now, Matt. So on Monday, I did something. And the minute I was done with it, I was like, okay, I've got to talk about this. Will will appreciate me driving a phone scammer to the point that he cursed me out and slammed down his phone. Nice. Yes. Yes. It was, you know, mid-afternoon. And I got a, a, a call on my cell phone. Well, it didn't come up spam risk, as they often do. It was not a number I recognized. But I was like, all right. Let me see what this is, because why the hell not? So I pick up the phone and a robot voice comes through. You have a package that is being held in customs. Please press one to speak to a representative. Like, OK. And I hit one. And there's a little lag. And then a voice comes on in an unintelligible accent that I will not attempt to replicate because I don't know what it was. And the only thing that would come off would be me sounding racist. I'm not going to do that, but, uh, but you could do your best New Jersey accent. I could, I could at that. Like, I get, <laughs> I, I get a voice that says, uh, Hi, I'm with us borders and custom patrol. I'm like, okay, can I, hey, how, how you doing tonight? How you doing? Can I get a name and badge number or ID number, please? There's about a 10-second silence. No. It's, like, uh, it's on a need-to-know basis there, bud, and uh, you don't need to know. Yeah. So I said, okay, <laughs> then you're not customs because you're a federal employee and you'd have to identify yourself somehow. Another, like, five seconds. Fuck off! <laughs> the sound of the phone slammed down. <laughs> like, uh, uh, it wasn't even that hard. No, wow. it wasn't. This person was clearly not ready for anybody to go up, go after their bullshit. Which right? made it he could have just, just made up something. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, number uh, seven eight nine dash eight six three. It could have been any kind of effort, but there was not. <laughs> it was just. Uh, Fuck off! Ah, <laughs> oh, God bless it. God bless it. Uh, Work harder out there, scammers. Work yeah. harder. Yeah. I mean, I still wouldn't have gone for your scam, but we, we could have, you know, had a little bit of a rapport, a little bit of dueling back and forth on this one. No, not this time. Nah. I, I guess that, uh, that package of gold from England that you needed to pay the advanced uh, duty on is just going to have to sit there. You could have been rich, Matt. You could have been I, rich. I could have, you know, that, that a slight down payment of forty five hundred dollars. It, it could have been yours. That thing that the Nigerian prince keeps emailing me about. <laughs> oh, well, but alas, I guess I'll just have to keep doing this podcast. 
Ah, tragic. Speaking of this podcast, this week, we're covering three stories of the first or early meetings between Batman and Superman. Not necessarily between Bruce and Clark, see last week's episode, just in time for the debut of the New World's Finest series. So we felt like we needed a Superman expert for this, and so we found one. Welcome to the show, writer at Women Write About Comics and our own Comics XF, Corey McCreary. Corey! Hey, Corey! Hello, everyone. Hello. Uh, I am doing wonderful. Excellent. Glad to have you aboard. So before we get into the meat of the episode, I want to start with the question we ask guests. What are your earliest exposures to Batman? All right. So my earliest earliest batman comic would be the the legends or the untold legend of the batman three pack with cassette tapes Ooh! oh funnily enough we're gonna be talking about cassette tapes and dc comics later in this episode my mom got those for me at i think kb toys in the early 90s right after i fell in love with comic books thanks to superman but i other early memories of Batman, well, outside of comics, Batman 89 was my very first movie in the theaters. Wow. At, at the ripe old age of five, my uncle took me to see that movie and there we go. <laughs> um, but I also, I bought the issue off the newsstand where Bane broke Batman's back because that happened right during when I was getting into comics and it felt like a bit as big of a deal as Superman dying. And it was, I bought Batman 500 off the rack. And then I really started following some of the bat titles right around uh legacy era. So th- those are my, my path to becoming more and more of a bat fan as I grew up. Good times. Good times. I have fond memories of all of that eras that was 89 was was my my gateway drug into regular comic buying as well but tonight tonight we are going to dive into some some batman superman stories and we're starting off with the mightiest team in the world this is from superman volume one number 76 the writer is edmund hamilton pencils by kurt swan inks by stan k and john fischetti colors and letters are not attributed Edited by Mort Weisinger, cover date of May of 1952. Find out the first time how, on a sea voyage, Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent discovered each other's identities and formed the world's finest team. This is actually sort of untread territory here, Will, for us, because we haven't hit anything in the 50s yet. We've done, you know, really early 30s and 40s stuff. And then the next story we've hit is the very late 60s. So we're in the late golden, most of the Silver Age period where we really haven't covered much or anything. But but here we are. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting thing to pick up and read. And I, I want to ask one question, and I'm, I'm a little confused here at the beginning. So we get this splash page, and it talks about, you know, you've read the origin of the world's finest team. Now here's this follow-up story from Superman number 76. Is this a weird page that was stuck in from a reprint? I'm very confused as to why this very first page is in this issue. And I don't know if you gathered anything or were also struck by perhaps strangeness here. I was as well trying to figure out where that came from. 
I would have had to dig through a bunch of other Superman because this was the origin I thought. Corey, is there another story that I'm missing? Not that I know of. Like, this is the one I'm super familiar with. And I'm wondering if there is a story in some Golden Age World's Finest that I, I wasn't thinking of. World's Finest, despite what it really got marketed as, didn't become a team-up book until issue 71. Right. Right. Those early um, ones were just a Batman story and a Superman story, despite them sharing the cover. Right. Yeah. That way they could sell more comics because you'd have Superman fans buy it, you'd have Batman fans buy it, voila. And then towards the beginning of the Silver Age, they decided, you know what, let's team them up because they were starting to expand their universe and make it a cohesive joint universe instead of every superhero had its own thing. That definitely struck me as there was something there that I felt like I was missing and while I try to do some research, that one struck me possibly as just some golden age weirdness. Kind of feels like at least the text box is from a reprint because most text boxes don't name the issue that they're in and the month that they're in. Yeah, yeah. Really no idea because that issue did come out two years before the the team-up started, so... Yeah, so it's... it's... Let us know, folks out there in listener land, if we're missing something. Alexander, if you can figure this shit out, we'll have you on the show. I will say without too much ego, if both Corey and I are confused by this, there's probably something glitchy involved, but I'd love to find out. But now on to the actual story. Oh, Golden Age late golden age stories oh so delightfully delightfully wacky and casual sexism see oh well yeah let's oh oh lois okay but this is probably the least sexist of the three stories we're talking about tonight will <laughs> yeah that is a very good point like not gonna say it's good in that respect but it is definitely less so than the other two Especially, I mean, we'll get to the creators involved in the next one, and that that just is a a, a lock for that. <laughs> Golden Age, even into Silver Age, Lois Lane is such an odd proposition because it's both incredibly sexy because she constantly needs to be rescued by Superman, but at the same time, she takes initiative. She wants to go out there and. Yeah, she no. needs to be rescued because she's putting herself in these very dangerous situations. It's not that the trouble finds her. She finds the trouble and just has to have someone get her out of it. And, and to she, be fair to Lois here, she does outsmart both Batman and Superman in this issue. Indeed, she does, it, as it, she should. Yes, yes, they both are just so smug and she just takes them down a peg. And I love that. And that is why I, I love Lois Lane because Batman always thinks he's the smartest person in the room. And then he's in a room with Lois Lane. <laughs> Might not be the smartest. She's, she's up there, but her cunning pretty much tops anybody. 
There's there's a reason she's a multiple time Pulitzer winning journalist. Like she is very good at her job. It's only through deceit and trickery that Clark was able to hide his secret for so very long. She always knew. It just could, she could just never prove it. The classic rule of superhero secret identities. I mean, I think it was it was in All Star Batman, the Scott Snyder one, not the Miller one. Bruce Wayne is. It's not that difficult to figure out that Bruce Wayne is Batman. It's proving it that is what makes it difficult. And I think that's that makes some of the weirdness about secret identities make a little more sense. So for those who haven't actually read this story, Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent find out each other's secret identities because they're both taking a vacation on a sea liner and there's not enough cabin space. So they're put in the same cabin. And as things the, are the going, fanfic trope of there was only one bed. Yes. Yes. Enemies to lovers. As something goes wrong outside the ship, in this case, a fire, one or the other of them, I think it's Bruce, was like, I think we need to turn off the lights to go to bed. Yeah. And then they, I'm real sleepy, Smallville. <laughs> and then they both immediately start changing the costume, and a flash of light exposes them. It's like, wait, A, wouldn't Superman be changing at super speed? So Br- couldn't, but, ah, whatever. B, B, Superman could see in the dark anyway. Uh, I, I would like to point out that, as always, crime never pays. This is, this is of course, you know, a, a book published during the code. <laughs> this, though, crime does not pay in the long run because you spend too much time in that asbestos bodysuit. Enjoy that mesothelioma. Absolutely. I was thinking, wait, is that the human flame? It's like, no, it's not. But he's wearing the human flame's costume pathetic not quite arch enemy but recurring thorn in the side of the martian manhunter the human flame Ah, martian manhunter's one weakness it could be worse it could be the golden age green lantern who's a you know weakness is anything wood wood (laughs) (laughs) poor alex i mean you could take you could take out both the golden age green lantern and the silver age green lantern with a number two pencil (laughs) (laughs) you can but yeah, yeah, I love the actual appearance of an asbestos suit in uh, in this year comic book. What a nice little touch! <laughs> I, I had the exact same note, but oh, that that's not gonna end well for that guy. Yeah, and he he's Lois also gets on the ocean liner because like she wasn't supposed to go on vacation with Clark Kent. That was supposed to be his vacation alone to get away from Lois, but because. She also believes that the the villain of this story is on the ship and she needs to be the one to uncover the secret. She gets a cabin on the ship, but she gets a cabin on the ship because one of the other guests decided that this was too much commotion and left. So had Lois not decided to take along, Bruce and Clark wouldn't have had to share a room anymore. But... It, it's a comedy of manners. You know, I now kind of want to see this but it's Kelsey Grammer and David Hyde Pierce as Bruce and Clark doing it like an episode of Frasier. Does, <laughs> does that make Perry Gilpin Lois? Because I could be, I, I could go for that. And then uh, they, they, they have to come up with ways to make it 
makes sense that Superman and Batman are on the boat as well as Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent. And like, it's full on comedy of manners by that point. And <laughs> I love by the end when the, the criminal is trying to get away, it's like, all right, I'm going to sabotage the ship, but just in case, I'm going to take a hostage and a ship full of people. What hostage do you take? Lois, Lois Lane. Lane. <laughs> the one person that Superman rescues every time. But this time Superman doesn't. Yeah, that's true. That's true. In solution, Superman we... yeets Batman out of helicopter. <laughs> uh, let me just uh, let me just toss him like a fucking football. Just... Uh, this will probably. I work can out. make you fly actual quote from the comic i can make you fly and somehow uh, going back to your comedy of uh, manners point I-, I love how the very first explanation for why bruce and clark are not going to show up consistently throughout the cruise uh what is it clark is seasick and bruce has to take care of him uh 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 I can only imagine like Frederick Wortham like reading through this. Oh, say I love us. Oh, I don't like it. Oh, oh the 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 slash fiction in between the panels here is strong. It is a it is very strong. Is is it an episode? It's an early episode of Superman the animated series I think where somebody's hijacking a plane and Lois and, and Lois is on there and she's wising off and they're like and who are you? Like Lois Lane. Wait, Lois Lane, the one who Superman always saves? Mm-hmm. And there's Superman. It's like, this guy should have watched that cartoon because it, I mean, he still would have gotten, you know, nabbed. But it, it, he knew her name. He knew who she was. So you have to know. If you know Lois Lane's name, you know why she has a big deal name. And it's because she is friends with Superman. Ah, shit, man. I don't want any of this. Stop getting out. Fuck this. Uh, Also, like at the beginning, when the people on the ship tell Clark that he's going to have to share this cabin, he doesn't want to be, you know, say anything about it, about that being a problem in front of Lois, because it might make her suspicious. Suspicious of having to share a small cabin with a complete stranger? I'm sorry, I think it's more suspicious that he's like, Sure, I'll room with this rich <laughs> Right, know? right. No, no, you throw a fit, Mr. Kent. Right. And meanwhile, Bruce Wayne, well, at least we'll sort of see this a little later. First thing he should do is just be like, all right, I'm going to buy the ship. I'm going to buy the ship. Captain, you can go and bunk with somebody else because it's my ship now. <laughs> I'm the captain now. <laughs> and can we talk about how Batman figured out where the diamonds were? Yeah. Like, okay, wait. In the bullets? Okay, they're they're hidden in the lead. I mean, they're hidden in lead. Okay. Makes sense. How can't did see he do that in such a short time is right. the biggest question. And you only have the six bullets. I mean, you didn't, if you're carrying the gun, you could have at least put them in, you know, the ammo box and loaded real bullets into your gun. Right. Batman figures out that the, bu- the diamonds are hidden in bullets. Because the crook was too afraid to fire his gun at Batman. The logical conclusion must be uh, there's diamonds. diamonds in the gun. Of course. 
Huh. Now, I, I, I will shit on that as being very dumb, but there is some other like nice detective work in the book. Like you're talking to a guy on the ship, you know, he, he says, oh, I'm the, I'm the engineer or the electrician or whatever it was. And Batman notices, oh, uh, you're not wearing rubber shoes. Uh, uh, someone in your position <laughs> would always wear rubber. You're full of shit, bud. Something's going on here. This is definitely a fun story and probably the best of the golden age stuff we've done. Probably because it's a little later than those very, very early golden age stories we've yeah, had so far. It's right at the cusp of the Silver Age. Right at the cusp. Another little moment that made me kind of scratch my head, though, early on is the reason Bruce is on vacation on his own is Dick Grayson's going to visit relatives upstate. Wait. What relatives? Yes. The whole the point is he has person. no family other than Bruce. Right. Why does he need to be living again with this rich weirdo if he has family upstate? Upstate. It's always. Hey, which I do have to point out in case your listeners don't know. Upstate means upstate New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Okay. We never call it upstate. That is not a New Jersey thing. It's North. North Jersey, Central Jersey, and South Jersey. And I stand firmly by that there are all three. All those people that was like, there's just North Jersey and South Jersey. Nope. I've lived in all three, and I can absolutely attest there are three parts of New Jersey. Uh, which one has all of the uh, chemical plants? That is... Actually, that's all over the damn Haven. <laughs> <laughs> no, North Jersey... Is like you don't want to send your impressionable young ward up into like North North Jersey. That's where the uh, northern headquarters of the Klan was in the early 20th century, and a lot of that still up there. Like I, I was picturing that you know sort of mountainy parts of New Jersey that I don't want to ever visit, if at all possible. And after they after they catch the criminal. They then have to convince Lois that Clark and Bruce are not Batman and Superman. And so, and I don't know why this logic wouldn't work for both of them and why they had to pull the the switcheroo that they do at the end, which we'll get to in a second. But to prove that Bruce isn't Batman, they have Superman fly him to Gotham and have Batman solve a crime in Gotham and get seen by people and that make the news and then flies Bruce back to the ship. And so the reason that Bruce and Batman aren't the same person is that Bruce is still on the ship, but Batman is obviously not. Yeah. I feel like that logic could have worked for Superman too, but then again. Then you wouldn't have had the excuse to have, Bruce used his Master of Disguise abilities to look like Clark Kent. But then is... where was Bruce in getting off the ship? Like, that's that's the part that if I was Lois, there would be gears spinning of, well, where's Bruce Wayne now? I wanted to say goodbye uh, to Bruce. Bruce is in the shitter. <laughs> <laughs> now, Bruce... You're right back. Bruce re- resisted being seasick the entire time, but docking? Ooh, that, 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 that did badly, <laughs> but by his way. And, and then at the very end, after, oh, we haven't really talked about it. The, the, throughout the entire thing, Bruce and Clark, they, they thought they were going to sort of gaslight 
Lois by <laughs> Batman showing interest in her. So she's paying more attention to him, but she overhears this. So she starts showing interest in Batman and Clark starts getting a little bit jealous. And it's just, but again, she's jerking them around the entire story, which is And she great. gets the last laugh at the end and it's fucking hilarious because instead of going on a date with either of them, she goes on a date with a fucking teenager. Oh yeah, she's just like, I'm just gonna go out with Robin. And it's just like, Wah, wah. Oh. I'm going to go a courting for a statutory rape charge. <laughs> uh, but uh, for wrestling fans out there, this story is a classic example of what we call in the business, working yourself into a shoot, brother. Because <laughs> you got Bruce and Clark who are like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we know what we're doing here. This is a, uh, this is a work. This is a, this is a gag, as they call it. And then they, as you said, they get this this jealousy between them, and by the end of it, you know, there's some real there's some real angst. They uh, they worked themselves into a lather, and Lois perfectly gets gets the better of them at the end. So that that was a nice fun note that I'm just going to point out to any other writer out there who might try in a more modern day book to rework this kind of magic. You can't. Don't fucking do it. None of this stuff <laughs> plays well now, as we will talk about. <laughs> oh, God, we'll talk about it. Yeah, yeah, we will. But I think that probably wraps it up for this one. I got nothing else. In that case. Corey, you got anything else? I think we covered my big talking points for this one. Uh, that means it's time to put Superman number 76 on the big board. Okay, so right now we have a whopping 75 stories on our list. Story number one is Batman Year One from Batman Volume One, numbers 404 to 407. Number 25 is New World Order from JLA number one to four. Number 50 is Death Cast the Deciding Vote and the Silent Night of Batman from Batman volume one, number 219. And down at the bottom at number 75 is Superman and Batman versus vampires and werewolves. Alexander, I swear to Christ above, it's a bad book. I promise you, bud, it's not good. So... (laughs) This is, as I think we just said, definitely above any of the other Golden Age material that we have, which granted is all pretty much at the bottom of the list. So another sort of consideration I have for tonight and not to spoil the rest of the episode, I think this is our highest story tonight. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. Oh, absolutely. No doubt in my mind. Good, 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 good. (laughs) So that's, that's going to help us, right? So, you know, every, the other two books are going to be below this. And so I mean, we sort of keep that in mind. Do you have a ceiling in your head for this, Will? I'd say Doomsday Book at 32. Okay. Wow. That's okay. Cool. So you're, we're not going higher than that. I'm just looking at that. That's, I mean, that's a, I'm just trying to give us some space to work with. Here. Yeah, I, I, I'm not saying that. Oh, man, it's like right there at 33, 34. No. You know, just a lot of room to maneuver. Yeah. I mean, it's 
I mean, I would definitely say it's not quite, there's a couple of stories below that I still think are better because below that you've got Fear for Sale, which is the other bar in Davis detective. Uh, you got the post-crisis origin of Jason Todd below that. Now, the, a couple at 38, we have the secret of the waiting graves from detective 395, the first Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams story. I actually think I, I mean, it's another short and I think I kind of enjoyed this one more. That was a, a fine story, but this one was just so fun. Yeah. And again, it's fun in ways that are not entirely as problematic as what we'll see the rest of tonight. And (laughs) it does have a charm to it. Now, above that is Robin Year One from the Robin Annual, which is another sort of retelling of a Golden Age story. From the annual, so not the miniseries. Yes, this is just the annual okay. from the year okay. one annual year. Yeah, from what, 95? Yeah, and this that's fed right into that miniseries, but the art is nowhere near as nice in this than it was with that Javier Polito art on that miniseries. This was, I can't remember who. I mean, when in doubt, I'm always willing to bump Chuck Dixon down a slot. So, uh, I mean, that would put it in between that and Brian Hill's On the Outside from his his one arc on Detective that fed into his Batman and the Outsiders run. I think that's a decent spot for this. I think so. So that would new 37. It does. So next up, we move to One Night in Gotham City. This is Man of Steel, volume one, number three. Written and penciled by John Byrne, inks by Dick Giordano, colors by Tom Zuko, letters by John Costanza, edited by Andy Helfer. Cover date, November of 1986. Set in the post-crisis DC universe, this new telling of the first meeting between Batman and Superman finds the Man of Steel coming to Gotham to apprehend the vigilante Batman as the Dark Knight pursues Magpie, a new rogue. The two heroes must work together, despite not trusting each other, to stop her crime spree. So tonight, this will be the first of a couple of problematic creator watches. This one for John Byrne. There's a, a, a line where the question of whether you're problematic or just an asshole lies. And Byrne definitely falls on the, uh, the problematic side of that line for anti-immigrant yeah. comments, transphobic comments, misogynistic comments really bad problems with age gap romances oh yeah that too Ooh. oh no is, is is this guy one of the libertarian types that could tell me all of the age and consent laws probably yes Oof. is it him who's you know kitty pride's wolverine and kitty pride should mm-hmm. be together oh god mm-hmm. no it, it's him who had lex luther a spy on a teenage Lois Lane as she was getting strip searched. Right. Wow, I forgot about that. Yeah, no, mm. no. Burn has a lot of problems with really liking young girls to be matched with skeevy old men. It's mm. not great. C- tonight and the writer's barely disguised fetish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish you could disguise gross. it more, honestly. <laughs> so, so it's funny. Mm. Corey, that you mentioned the 
Untold Legend of Batman cassette and comics because I only was ever able to find issues one and two of Untold Legend with the cassettes. I was able to find all six issues of Man of Steel with the cassettes, which is how I first encountered Man of Steel. I first read this in that reprint with the cassette. Ah. Let me let See, me ask. I, I had uh, all of the Batman ones and none of the Superman ones. Huh. We, we got the opposite of what our fandoms are, Matt. Yeah. Uh, let me ask the olds here. Not what a cassette uh, was, because thankfully I'm I, I too am an old. Were the comic uh, were the comics just narrated on these cassettes, or did you have music, hmm. or what was the deal? There was music. There were sound effects. There was narration. Yep. I, still, cast? Or I recently refound the Untold Legend of the Batman ones when I got a turntable that has a cassette deck. Ooh. So I can go back and listen to those and relive my childhood. Yeah, I, I found my Man of Steel's and the couple of uh, Batman's because I'm, I'm going through a whole bunch of stuff and I'm, I'm excited. Along with, I also found some vinyl narrated superhero stories that I had as a kid too. I'm looking forward to listening to those. At least we have a a record player to listen to. I I need to get the cassette player though, Will, because we're going to cover Untold Legend of Batman at some point. And there is a wild theme song to go with Batman (laughs) on those cassettes that we will play in that episode because it is wild. It's good. Yeah. Oh, it's it's. (laughs) On so a couple of things that I was doing some digging because this is the point where Batman and Superman aren't chums anymore. This is the the confrontational Batman and Superman, and I was trying to figure out where this lay in relation to Dark Knight Returns. And this I was actually, just about to ask that it overlaps. Dark Knight issues one, two, and three came out a month apart. And then there was a gap of three or four months in between three and four. This falls in that gap. So it doesn't feel like Byrne was necessarily riffing off of what Miller was doing. It just seems like Byrne's concept of a more grounded Superman implied that he wouldn't get along with Batman. And between Byrne and Miller, we get (laughs) a decade of Batman and Superman not really getting along. Uh, I I do need to interrupt here before Corey answers this question for uh, I'm trying to do the listeners here a service. While Matt was talking, Corey first rolled her eyes and then uh, made the classic dismissive wanking motion, (laughs) which I personally enjoy. So again, service out there for the listeners i'm trying to figure out when batman and superman started acting like they're actually friends again it wasn't a decade because once burn left in the blazing dumpster fire of lighting everything on fire and walking away as he tends to do when he leaves a book Stern and Ordway came on, and they really tried to fix a lot of the stuff that Byrne broke. I'm trying to find a year in my trade paperback of it here. So this was 1986. Right. They had a, a, a lukewarm meeting in 1987 in Action Comics Annual Number 1. Yep. Where, if I remember right, they fought some vampires again. Yep. 
because that's that's a recurring theme with Batman and Superman stories, weirdly. But then in 1990, you had a story that they did called The Dark Knight Over Metropolis. Um, yes. And that's really where they started to have a mutual respect for each other again and start building that friendship back up. And that's... by the time Superman died in 1992, they were they were on good terms. Because yeah, it's a Dark Knight of Metropolis is where Clark gives Bruce the kryptonite ring. Yeah. Yeah. And there's then there's the Gibbons Rude World's finest miniseries, which is right on the tail of that. So, yeah. OK, because I was trying to remember because by the time Morrison takes over JLA, they're very, on good terms again. very much on good terms. And that's about. 96 but yeah you're right death of death of superman there's that bit in funeral for a friend where bruce yep. is you know stops what is that pick and like my first batman superman meeting was superman the man of steel number 34 34 or 36 i can't put my finger on it but it's the zero hour issue that has the amazing john bogdano cover with every era of Batman confronting Superman and is just a master class in how versatile of an artist Bogdanov is because he's able to completely mimic every single style of all the iconic Batman artists throughout that issue. But we're not here to talk about that one. No. Sadly. Uh, yeah. We'll have you back when we get to, to that one. Would love to be back on for that one, because okay. that one's a blast. That, that one's a ton of fun, as opposed to this. Oh, boy. So, nobody comes off well in this story. No, Superman's a cop. Batman's like, an asshole. A condescending Batman's asshole. an asshole who threatens to murder people, even though he's only actually threatening to blow himself up. But it's and, still beyond what normally Batman would do. Absolutely. And our villain, Magpie, is, oh boy, Magpie is, she likes pretty things. And so, shiny, shiny, shiny shiny things. And Because Magpie. Yeah, whose real name is Margaret Pie, because nominative determinism, everybody. Yep, there we go. There's that gesture again. and, And the bullies at school called her Magpie. Because bullies are so, so she clever. had to, of course, had to, of course, grow an affliction for shiny things and and wanton murder. Yeah. Happy birthday. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Magpie, this is one that I, I couldn't quite figure out because Magpie has you can count the number of appearances Magpie has made on one hand. And Maybe a couple other fingers. This was her first appearance, wasn't it? It is her first appearance. Her other appearance, her other notable appearance for the next 20 years, same month, same cover date. Batman 401 is also November of 86 with a burn cover, but Trevor Von Eden and Barbara Kiesel internals. Then she doesn't appear again until, except in, you know, background Arkham scenes until Arkham Asylum Living Hell, where she's even more problematic because that was that scene with Poison Ivy that we really didn't like where Magpie Mm -hmm. is trading sexual favors for shiny things. 
And next, the next, her next appearance, she dies. Uh, was, was that during Denny's run? Uh, no, that was right before. That was face to face. The Robinson. Oh, right. It was Robinson's one. run. Yeah, that's she, right. She was one of her KG Beast, Orca, and a couple others just arbitrarily get killed for story benefits. And then she comes back from the dead as part of Blackest Night and I think has appeared a couple of times with a different look in since the New 52 and was well, in the Lego so. Batman. This look movie. is terrible. Oh, it's an awful look. God. Yeah, but she's she's has a bizarre pathology that makes zero sense. Wait, wait, wait. You, you don't know about all the museum directors that break bad, Matt? You know, I, I mean, I've that, got it. that happens in comics all the time, but I'm with Matt on this one. This is a bizarre pathology of shiny things make me lose my mind and murder people. And, well, we had this issue with that one Scarecrow story where you're bullied in high school and that somehow sets you down the path to supervillainy. If that set you down the path to supervillainy, pretty much all of my friends would be supervillains. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You were already on that path. If that's the path you took after getting called Magpie once in high school. And, and the, 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 oh, the, her like thing with the trading, it's, it's really, it's just weird. And, okay, going to the, our, our actual protagonists here, Clark shows you up and call them that. Yeah. Superman shows up in Gotham to apprehend Batman for no reason. Because he's a vigilante, even though Superman is also, even in his own words, a vigilante. Yeah, like this isn't the fifties. He's not a duly deputized. He's not a duly deputized law enforcer like he was in the nineteen fifties. He's a vigilante. He just does it during the day in a bright colored suit and has superpowers, so people don't try to stop him. There's one line about you know I don't want you to ruin this for the rest of us. You could have given us some reason, something Bruce had done, some of the well, granted year one hadn't come out yet, but you could have, you know, done some of the stuff that we see in year one about Bruce not getting playing well with the cops, something to justify Clark showing up other than I'm super other than I wanted to write the first meeting between these two during my my origin story for Superman miniseries. Which is literally all it is. It's Burn doing a power play of, I am the architect of the DC universe because I am the architect of the rebirth of Superman. So I must write this story. Nobody else can do it. And this story in that miniseries is a complete aside. Right. It has nothing to do with anything else. The rest of the miniseries is about the growth of Superman as a hero and the growth or the the emergence of Lex Luthor as his archenemy. The other five issues are about that. And this is about nothing. You could skip this issue while reading Man of Steel and you would not miss a single thing. And then, and meanwhile, Batman is like, oh, I expected this to happen. Which, you know, this foreshadows the uber prepared batman but in a really dumb way he has this you know magnetic force field around himself that if superman penetrates a bomb will go off and kill someone in gotham 
and uh, specifically an innocent person in Gotham. Yes, an innocent. And of course, it turns out that Bruce has had the bomb on him the whole time, and he was just counting on Clark not to do anything. Making a lot of assumptions there, Bats. I mean, what if what if Superman does not grab your line in, in the first couple of panels, and he just grabs you? Oh, hey, congratulations, you're dead. Also, like, it's a force field around you. How is it extending to your cape? Yeah, there's that. Like, it does. Like, we see it extend to his cape, but how? You would think that the cape would be separate and Superman could just go whoop and hoist him like a kid getting an atomic wedgie. I just got to get out of that battle. Yeah, bad, bad magic. <laughs> I also am perplexed. This was still in a time when, you know, thought balloons were a regular thing in comics. But Bruce is not. Bruce is monologuing to himself this entire story. Every time he's alone, there's no thought bubbles. He's speaking out loud. That's something. Yeah, I don't like Byrne as a storyteller. I don't like him as an artist. I think he's overrated there. I was so happy when I was doing my Superman read through and I finally got out of the burn era and into other people, but uh. he does write that one silver banshee issue that does have Batman and some really nice early Mike Mignola art. That that's yeah, yeah, no, no. The, the rare occasion when someone else was drawing was good. Love the Marv Wolfman Jerry Ordway stuff that was going on alongside Burn Superman, but or- Ordway vastly underrated Superman artist. He, he should be mentioned in the, the top names of Super. That, that, I mean, that, again, right around the, the beginning of the Triangle era into the death of Superman between him, Jurgens, Grummet. Grummet, Bogdanov. I mean, that is a Butch Geis. Those are as a great period of Superman art and books. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can't disagree with you there. Like, I. I love Ordway's art. Like, he's not my top five. No. But just barely. He's my top ten, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, I, I was say, we, I, we can't go down this, this, this <laughs> rabbit hole because we, we could be sitting here talking Superman artists. A, a couple of notes, un, uh, little production notes in case, unless anybody has anything particularly deep to add beyond this point. The one thing I will add that was a plague upon the early Triangle Era, or the early reboot Superman stuff into the early Triangle Era, is the issue ends with the rare Batman thought bubble of this issue, where he's thinking to himself, all things considered, in another life we could be friends. And it's something that plagued those early Superman issues a lot, where they would just make a ha 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 get it because they used to be kind of joke or ha 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 get it because in that reality she was superman's cousin and that was dumb ha 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 this sort of thing happened all the time in the early reboot era of superman where they would jokingly reference the history that they had just erased as kind of like a knife twist to the fans of that era and it really doesn't land well, even for people who were not fans of that era. For people who had no idea what happened in that era, it's a stupid aside for no reason at all. And for fans of that era, it's just an insult. 
I can only imagine how well it would have played in the new 52 to constantly make jokes about how we're resetting everything and about how everything that came before was dumb. Yeah, but see, now we have the internet where they would never get away with, well, I mean, they get away with whatever they want, but, you know, at least people would have raised hell. A, a couple of notes, as we usually like to reference that every street and everything in Gotham is named after some creator or someone with a connection. A street in the Diamond District is Donner Avenue, I assume after Richard Donner. And Magpie's thugs, two of them are Carling and Gruenbach. I've got to think that's got to be a Mike Carlin and uh, Mike Gruenwald name twist. Because uh, otherwise, it would just that would make sense. Carlin was over the Superman books for a decade, and Grunwald was over Marvel for ever. And yeah. I am sure, or I am sure, Byrne and him did not get along because Byrne didn't get along with anybody. <laughs> if you don't get along with anybody, maybe the problem's you. So, anything else, Will? I've got nothing, so that means it's time to put Man of Steel number three on the big board. Trolling down. I will open with this. It ain't better than Holy Terror at 64. No. <laughs> no, Holy Terror. And I'm open, I'm open to keep on moving on down. I mean, the next two stories are uh, from each ending and beginning, which is the Paul Levitz, Joe Staten, Huntress original pre-crisis Huntress origin and Robin the Boy Wonder, the original Dick Grayson origin. Those both are exposition-y. They're both sort of establishing something and just telling a very simple story. And I'm kind of fine with that. I think that's better than this, which is also trying to establish something, but is doing it in a way worse way. Below that is Master of the Future, the sequel to... Gotham by Gaslight. Now we're in the right territory here, because that's a a 64-page Batman one-shot that has 15 pages of Batman in it. And its only virtue is that it's better than Gotham by Gaslight. And then below that is Days of Rage, the Huntress Volume 1, number 17 to 19, which is a late 80s, early 90s story that has some of the problems that you get with those kind of stories about things with race and urban urban decay quote unquote below that is scarecrow which we talked about a minute ago was the other one where high school bullying turned me into a supervillain. This, this might be better than that scarecrow story only in that it is only one issue and not two so this <laughs> if, if as we keep on going down this might be a good time to bring in Corey. how do you view this story in relation to Superman 710. Which from we the just did last episode, The saga. Batman Superman grounded flashback issue. God, I have not read that since it came out. So it ain't good. Lot, this is a lot fresher in my head. But for me, the big crime of grounded was that it was boring. And the big crime of this is that it's borderline offensive and out of character on a lot of levels for all characters involved. So I'd probably put it below that, but I'd have to reread Superman 710 to be 100% sure on that. That one is my big crime on that one is that it's let me 
cram a reference to every early meeting of Batman and Superman into one issue. Ah, the like, clip show episode. Yeah, it's like, oh, remember that? I, I want my car once broke down in Smallville. And the first time we met, oh, you mean the time on the ship or the time with Magpie? No, the time when we were in Butron. It's like, oh, remember when we crossed paths there? And it's just so many references to other stories. Get it? Get it? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's a big. Let me wink at the camera until my eye bleeds. Issue, but it is not offensive. <laughs> so that that would put it below seventy two. Uh, below that is the last Batman story, which I would reread the last Batman story before I would reread this because that's so wacky. <laughs> it's just it's, so it's now this, we're down to seventy three. Yep. So that that one is seventy three. Okay, the, the, below that, now we're into the, now we're in the real dregs. We're down to the bottom three. <laughs> uh, we got Chasing Clay, which is Batman 550, which is a weird Clayface story with the prelude to the much better than the prelude Chase series, but that takes like four pages in the middle to be like, okay, here's every Clayface and what their deal is in exposition. You know what? I think this might be better than that only because this is only 22 pages and not 38 that drags. Yeah, yeah. Because that, because below that, you get the ones that aren't even borderline offensive that are flat-out offensive. With Hey, we got one of those today, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're going to be hitting that in a minute. Ah, <laughs> boy, that's one that I was like, boy, I remember liking this. What was I thinking? But we'll get there in a sec. Uh, so this does, in that case, <laughs> make this our new number 74. One night in Gotham City. It. I'm glad that I got the dregs with you guys tonight. Yeah. We'll, yeah. We will definitely bring you back for some better Batman, <laughs> Superman stories. I mean... There are a lot of them, so well, it's... <laughs> there are so many. The other one I considered for this third slot was the first six issues of the New 52 Superman Batman. That was the first New 52 meeting of Superman and Batman. But that's, I don't know if it's worse, but it's six issues and it just goes on forever. <laughs> and I haven't read that because New 52 stuff is a big blind spot for me because I noped out. The fact that I only vaguely remember it. And listen, I love Jay Lee as an artist. Jay Lee's dark, sort of moody style doesn't scream Superman to me. No. It's, it's a Batman style, sure. It actually might be closer to some of that new 52 Superman with the angsty, angsty boy. But okay, now on to our final story of the night. Stop me if you've heard this one. This is Superman and Batman Volume 1, Annual 1. Writer is Joe Kelly. Now, here we go into some artist credits, everybody. Pencils oh by boy. Ed McGinnis, Ryan Otley, Sean Murphy, and Carla Barbieri. Inks by Dexter Vines, Cliff Rathburn, Sean Murphy, Don Hillsman, Bob Petreca, Andy Owens, and Rodney Ramos. Colors by Guy Major. Letters by Rob Lee. Edited by Eddie Berganza and Janine Schaefer. Cover date, December 2006. 
This loose retelling of the events of Superman number 76 adds super assassins, alternate universes, and more than a dash of comedy to Batman and Superman's shipside adventures. So this one issue gives us at least two problematic creator watches. Assholes uh, all over this book. Yep, we got Woo-hoo! Eddie Berganza, noted <laughs> sexual harasser, and Sean Gordon Murphy, noted... Uh, asshole. Asshole, and... Friend to other assholes. Yeah. Yeah, t- yeah. Tangential comics gator, all manner of issues there, and... This is not the last we'll be hearing from him in the next few weeks on this show. Oh, I'm so fucking sorry. Dan Grote, you <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, that's what we get for giving you for, for having that Patreon tier where you, you know, you can choose a story for us to do. And God damn it. Dan Grote, you know, my best friend of just shy of 30 years, chooses violence. God damn it. White knight? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! Fucking oh, white knight. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, that, I create, so sorry. I create content for the man's website about how bad white knight is, and this is the fucking thanks I get. I get to reread it again. Woo! Lucky me! Lucky me! Woo! <sighs> damn it! God damn it! So this one, this one takes the novel twelve pages that was that first story expands it to 40 and adds in the worst of joe kelly's instincts there's a lot of (laughs) joe kelly that i like and so i think i might have gone into this thinking it was going to be better or remembering it with rose-colored glasses because this is not 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 great did he also write bouncing baby boy indeed he did yeah i fucking hated that just like i fucking hated this And see, so I very recently read the start of Joe Kelly's Superman era because it was at the very end of the Triangle era. It was in what I deemed the changing of the guard when Juergens and Simonson and Eminen and Carl Kiesel all got taken off of the books and replaced by a new guard like Jeff Loeb, Joe Kelly, Joe Casey, and Mark Millar, coinciding specifically with a certain editor that we've already named coming on to the books. He was the one that got rid of everybody and brought in all this new talent. And I have to say, like, I'm not a fan of Mark Millar by any means of the word, but his Superman was better than Joe Kelly's, in my opinion, because Joe Kelly's was, as we're about to find out, Joe Kelly's Superman run got to be borderline offensive in, or over borderline offensive, In many cases, he really wrote misogynistic Superman stories, as we're about to see. Had smatterings of racism throughout his run, and also really tried to shoehorn in unnecessary slapstick comedy. Because he was fresh off of a Deadpool run, so... Where that uh works! But it doesn't work for Superman, and like, it's... uh, I haven't read it in a number of years. I do remember liking So What's So Funny About Truth, Justice, and the American Way. That's one of the higher points of his early run. I, I remember, but it's sandwiched by a lot of bad. I mean, I remember there's a, a, a Joker attacks Luthor Plaza and Mercy and Harley 
do slapstick issue. There's some Talia stuff in there when Talia takes over LexCorp. Everything, of course, for me is through the lens of bat appearances. But <laughs> that's, you know, my bag. The Superman books don't course correct until Rooka comes on adventures around that period. Yeah. Uh, Rucka coming on to Adventures was a really good era, but really they haven't, the Superman books haven't been a notable high point for DC, not until very recently with Philip Kennedy Johnson, I would say, Mm. really took the Superman books back to the heights where I think they belong. Go read Superman now. I mean, I've been, I've been (laughs) loving him too, so. Yeah, Action Comics is wonderful. Yeah. Just every month, it is a banger comic, and I'm really excited to see what comes out of it from Johnson, because he really has written the best Superman for me in decades. I am an absolute mark for him, and I'm happy for all the success, even though I don't (laughs) read Superman. Going back to rereading this issue, it starts out on a bad note for me, because it starts out with Deathstroke the Terminator, and I am not a fan of Deathstroke the Terminator. I- I've spoken about my problems with that character before on this show. And at least here, he's a flat out villain. I think my main problem is when they try to make Deathstroke a good guy because he's a pedophile and human trafficker. There's yeah, no yeah, way no, this guy's. I, I love re- him when he is a villain for teenagers. Th- that, that's but really I weird. don't like him any other time. No. <laughs> That's where this character works best. And Will, we're going to have to deal with him soon because he's going to, there's going to be a crossover between his book and Batman in a couple months. Yeah, Batman, the Damian Wayne book, and Deathstroke Inc. I've been enjoying the Robin <laughs> book. But yeah, at least here, Deathstroke is, he's at least a villain. I mean, it, it could have been worse. This could have been, you know, hero Deathstroke, which less less of a fan. Where to even start with the, the, the main problems with this one. Th- this, I, I had to go back and double check a few times that this comic did come out in 2006 because there are th- words that are used in this book that it's like, that was not okay. That's not okay to say now that, that, that I mean, that was never okay to say. But in two, even by 2006, using retard is... That was not something you could say in 2006. Colin I mean, you Su- could if you were an asshole. Right. Which Joe Kelly has shown me time and again in his scripts that he is. Or, or getting or Deadpool. Because let's just flat out say it. We get Earth 3 Deathstroke, who is Deadpool. Flat out. Oh, yeah. Cutting him off from saying his name so he can't say Deadpool. But he was Deadpool. Oh, absolutely. Which, and- again... It's Joe Kelly going back to the only thing he was ever good at, which was writing Deadpool. If you haven't, his creator-owned series and image, I Kill Giants, is very good. All right. But (laughs) I have my doubts. (laughs) It's, yeah, I mean, I, again, I read it when it came out in trade, and I, it's a heartstring tugger. It's, but I remember it being very good. Also, he addresses Superwoman as some of the members of the crime syndicate show up as Super Ho. Also not good. Also, again, not acceptable at any point 
and especially in 2006. Let me let me jump in to add one more thing to that list of bad things. And and, and one one line that I did not like and which was again not right at the time and certainly not right now going back to reprising the whole two guys sharing uh, a cabin gag broke back titanic fucking hilarious there was way less gay panic than there could have been yeah yeah like they, they really do sell that there was only one bed thing because they actually show clark and bruce laying in one bed but bruce just looking so friggin' miserable Kelly's asshole Bruce Wayne is wow. That is some of the Bruce Wayne rich douchiest I have ever seen him portrayed. And at least here he does try to use his money to get out of this whole thing. But again, he uses it to try to pay off Clark versus just bribing the concierge. Where it's like you bribe that guy and he bumps somebody out of their cabin and makes them stay with Clark. And like, it's also a penis measuring contest between them because either one of them could have gotten out of it at any time and they're doing it out of spite for each other. And it's just... With, you know, Bruce Wayne. Okay, because that is in character for Bruce Wayne. Clark Reeds is kind of out of character here. Yeah, yeah, very much so. There is no reason for him to be as antagonistic as he is. For Bruce's part, I would have liked a note somewhere that was, you know, after all of this was over, if if there was a quiet moment or something, I would have liked Clark to ask Bruce, like, hey, why were you such a giant dick? And I was like, oh, I knew, like, you were a reporter. I thought me being a giant dick would get reported, just giving me more distance between myself and Batman. And I don't even know if Kelly was thinking that. I make this book maybe better in uh, in my head canon because this is shit on the page. As we're having this confrontation between Dick and Bruce, we also have problematic Lois, where she fat shames two women out oh. of their room so that she can get her own. Oh, oh, and yeah, that was uh, like I think there was no good way to read that scene, whether that's. One of them says, after Lois says that, one of them says bathroom. And that has any number of just terrible implications there. Like at every possible moment, Joe Kelly decided to show his ass in this book. And like that's super out of character for Lois too. 100% Lois Lane would never fucking do that. These are all supposed to be admirable people. You can absolutely play Bruce Wayne as a rich, entitled douche, but he's not a rich, entitled douche here. He's a complete ass. Bruce Wayne is supposed to be clueless, not an egotistical sack of... Yeah, and we get to the end, and this entire thing is a fourth wall breaking deus ex machina. Literally, because it involves Mixie Spitlick, who is godly. It's like, oh, yeah, this is, is Mixie. And there's commentary about how, you know, comics need to be more extreme now. It's like, boy, that's on the nose. That is very on the nose. Go the fuck back to Deadpool. Jesus. 
I mean, that that's basically what he wrote here, was a Deadpool comic that co-starred Batman and Superman and the crime syndicate for no reason at all. Like, I have several problems with this comic, and the, the cramming too much into it is one of them. The stylistic differences between all of the artists is another, because none of them draw like each other. There is no consistency of the art in this book from one page to the next. And you'd think if they could have at least gotten one inker, that might have helped. But instead, you've got four pencilers. More inkers than pencilers. Six inkers. Uh, like, I will say, looking this over, I'm going to peg Murphy's contribution as that very first Deathstroke page. The very first first actually i think the very first page of the issue because uh, yeah, I, I know think... that's i know that scowl anywhere murphy's only expression and like the mcginnis is easy to pick out yeah mcginnis is very good and very stylish otley is kind of close to mcginnis close Those... enough that if it had just been mcginnis and otley it wouldn't have been a problem probably but barbary and murphy are so far off the mark that it's I didn't even think the coloring was all that consistent. And they've only got one colorist on the book. And it's a colorist I've, I, as a Superman reader, have never heard that name before. To be fair, my primary Superman era is the Triangle Era. And for a vast majority of the Triangle Era, they had a single colorist doing four monthly books. That poor, poor person. Uh, Glenn Whitmore did literally all but one issue of the 1990s of Superman. Wow. Wow. It was ridiculous when I went through that list of how long he was the single colorist on Superman books. And the one issue he didn't do was at the very tail end of 1999, the final issue of Superman Man of Tomorrow. (laughs) And like when I interview him later this year, I really want to ask him how much it bugs him that he has that one issue that he didn't get because and it's not like that was his last issue either it was like that was one break and then he was still on the books for like another year or so before he fully transitioned off and they moved completely to computer coloring that's fascinating i can't wait to hear to hear that (laughs) to hear the why there i mean Listen, we could probably spend a lot more time digging into this thing, but uh, why? Yeah, it just repurposes the first story, adds in a whole bunch of extraneous stuff. Sucks out every inch of fucking charm. We should talk about how they discover each other's identities this time, because it is so much worse than that first time where they both decide to go to bed early and then a bright light shows them each other changing into costume. Instead, this is just more antagonism and Bruce Wayne trying to shoot Clark with a sedation dart and then figuring out as the dart breaks on his skin that he's Superman and Superman figuring out that Bruce is Batman for the same reason. And (sighs) yeah, I'm all for Batman being prepared for things, 
why did he decide to have the weird sedative? What reason would he have for those sedative darts other than drugging the women he brought with him on the ship? Don't like that. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. And also, like, I want to point out the inconsistency in Clark's part of the story here, because this is post-crisis Superman. This is pre-infinite crisis Superman. Post-crisis, Superman did not become Superman until an adult. There was no time in which Clark Kent was Superboy. Didn't happen. Clark didn't get his powers until the end of high school. And one of the things that Bruce Wayne said early in the issue is that he had combed hundreds of high school yearbooks looking for Superman's distinctive jawline. And when Bruce questions why he couldn't find that jawline once he figures out that Clark Kent is Superman by trying to poison him. Clark says it's because I would vibrate at super speed when getting my picture taken so that it would blur the jawline just enough to not have you figure it out. And I'm just like, but Clark had no reason to do that in high school because he didn't know that he was going to be a superhero yet. So why would you do that as a high school senior? It doesn't make sense. (laughs) Okay. Let's just, let's do it. It's time to put this fucking piece of shit on the big board. So, Will? I I see. I see where you're going. I'm going to say this. The only way we could possibly put this above Superman and Batman versus vampires and werewolves is because Superman and Batman versus vampires and werewolves is like 17 issues long. And this is just the one. Yeah, but it's one that feels like 18 issues, Will. True. And it is offensive in myriad ways that I think Superman and Batman versus Vampires and Werewolves doesn't even, like, imagine, right? Um, No, because it does also have the needless, excessive characters. It has at least one use of one of my least favorite comic book tropes the sexy female corpse in superman and batman versus vampires and werewolves that is that will always put something right down at the bottom for me because i hate that it has batman making snide comments about a corpse robin baskin in a book called superman and batman versus vampires and werewolves where superman doesn't appear until the last page of issue three look i'm just saying that book, for as bad as it is, doesn't get into the the gay jokes. Okay. To to my memory. To my memory. I agree. I do not remember any gay jokes in that book. But yeah, that's that's the only discussion we have here. Uh, because for as bad as the blue and the gray and the bat was, it's better than this. Yeah. That one, the racism there was unintentional it was trying to almost i think trying to be empowering and it's like no that's not empowering that's just racist Mm -mm. Mm -mm. nope Mm -mm. we are not going to call black people the dark knights nope Mm -mm. not gonna do it no that 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 was clearly a we're reclaiming this thing but no white writer you can't reclaim that but so 
I'm inclined to put this above uh, Superman and Batman versus vampires and werewolves, but it is very close to a dead heat. Yeah, we. it's kind of like you, you, you want to be able to just say they're equally bad, but that's not how lists work. No, so... it is not. <laughs> and the, the one saving grace is that it's one issue as compared to an entire miniseries of suck. But I hated the zaniness. I hated all of the problems that we've talked about. This is a terrible fucking book, and it deserves to be near or at the very bottom of this list. The other thing, okay, that I will say that I think this, why the, that there's that random useless use of Lovecraft in Superman and Batman versus Vampires and Werewolves, and un reflective use of Lovecraft at any point in the past decade is points against. I think this Agreed. is seven. This is 77 of 78. Yeah. That was I was close. hoping I would get a new bottom for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you were so close. Uh, uh, we've, we've got some prime candidates coming up. The guy I worked with for years picks white knight and uh when is when is this episode coming out this episode is dropping second week of march second week of march okay uh so right in fiance- time for world's finest yeah is it coming yep. out after world's finest uh it should be coming out the come on here's my lists i think it's coming out that world's finest will drop on tuesday and this will drop on thursday so it is the week of world's okay finest. so i can say instead of all these that we just read please go pick up batman superman world's finest number one because that book is fucking incredible and a joy i'm really glad to hear that i loved that book and dan mora drawing superman oh uh, you know, I was so upset that Mora was leaving Detective, and then it's like, oh, oh, okay, he's going. Oh, okay, okay, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm good with that. If he's going to this, that, that's that, that's a good, good choice. I will take yeah. that. And I want to finish my point about okay. the bottom of our list and candidates. So, a guy I worked with for years picks uh, White Knight, and now since this is coming out the second week of March. My fiance picks Widening Gyre, and I, d- I don't know about the company I keep anymore. And you picked her. Uh, yeah, I did. And she's fucking fantastic. And I love her. And she fucking completes me. And I am really happy to propose to her. <laughs> anyway. Yes, that's it for this week. Next week, we uh, dip back into a creator spotlight for three stories by one of the masterminds behind Batman the Animated Series, Paul Dini. Corey, thank you for being on the show. Where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me online on Twitter at CoreyMurray21. Uh, you can find my the bulk of my writing at WomenWrite.comics, where I'm also an assistant editor. You can find some of my writing at ComicsXF, ComicsBeat, myriad of other places around the internet. And knock on wood, hopefully later this year, in book form, as I look to publish The Never-Ending Battle, a retrospective on the triangle era of Superman. Which I am really looking forward to reading. Uh, we'd <laughs> like to thank our Patreon backers. Dan Grote, June is Dead. Long live June. Joshua Wheel, Zach Raberoff, Abigail Hartbaum, 
Asimov Fangirl and Tony Thornley for their support. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Batchat Comics, and the show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Comics XF, where new episodes drop on Thursdays. And you can support the podcast on Patreon, where you can get shoutouts, bonus content, pick a story, and even come on the show. If you want to hear more of my ramblings, mostly about the three C's, comics, cinema, and cats, you can follow me at MattLaz1013 on Twitter. And I'm at Will Nevin, and I'm also out of here. Good night, Miami. And be sure to visit ComicsXF at ComicsXF.com or at ComicsXF on Twitter for our weekly Friday Bat Chat roundup of new Bat books for my other show, WMQ&A, where my longtime best friend Dan Grote and I interview comics creators, retailers, publishers, journalists, and other tradespeople, as well as all the other stuff that Will and I are writing. And stay safe out there, folks. Gotham is not a place to be after dark.